Hi there, welcome to the Good Life Community Church Podcast. It's so good to have you join us for a new year, 2024. We're kicking it off looking at the book of James through the month of January. I hope you enjoy. We're in the book of James and Greg did a really great job last week um, kicking us off and setting kind of the context and, and what James is about. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to the podcast. Actually, this month... Um, in the month of January, we're not filming. Um, our wonderful production guide, Josiah, is having a well-deserved holiday. So um, all of these are available on our podcast, just not on YouTube. That's just a little, a little note. Um, so we've kicked off the James series, and I have the real pleasure of getting into probably one of the most well-known and most controversial passages of James, which if you know James and you know James chapter 2... Uh, it's this passage that says faith without works is dead. Lucky me, I get to have that one. Um, It's controversial because, you know, Martin Luther, who started the Reformation, he didn't want James in the Bible because he didn't like that that part. So uh, it's generally been sometimes a bit of a controversial uh, book and particularly that chapter. But we're going to have a look today kind of at the end of James chapter 1 and into James chapter 2. Um, and what the Lord is going to say to us today by his spirit. James draws really heavily on Jesus' teachings, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, and I know Greg talked about that last week as well. And he also draws on wisdom literature, the Proverbs and other um, wisdom books that uh, those who were from the Jewish faith and uh, history knew about. There were other wisdom books besides Proverbs as well. So he really draws on it. So his teaching is really this letter that is just a whole collection of wisdom for how to just do it. Just get on with it. Just do it. That's why we've titled it our series, Just Do It. He's not really offering any other theological insights. It's not some new idea. It's really just like, remember, this is who Jesus is and what he taught us. Let's just get on and do it. So, why is it important though? Like, why, why would he write this? He's writing to a messianic community that means a Jewish Christian community and what's happened is is that they've really kind of settled on they had um, a prayer the Lord our God the Lord is one and it for the Christian Jews it became this uh, confession the Lord God is one and Jesus is the Messiah and that was their prayer but what had really happened to this community is they'd started to just go off into this is what we believe but James is like yeah but your life isn't showing what you believe. And so really, that is the whole of James. So we're in James, at the end of James chapter 1, verse 22, he says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself or herself goes away and immediately forgets what he or she looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This word, word there, do not merely listen to the word, 
It's also this uh, term that James goes on to explain as the perfect law. He interchanges them. He uses word or the perfect law. And this word, the perfect law, is not about the ritual works of the law that the Jewish Christians knew about, the Torah. It wasn't all of the prescribed things you had to do. It was the perfect law that Jesus gave voice to when he summarizes all of the Torah, which is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So when James says, do not merely listen to the word, what he's saying is do not merely listen to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Go and do it. He's writing with those in mind that intellectually believe in Jesus. He even goes on to say even the devil believes in Jesus but have not translated that belief into life practice. He's insisting that their works must correspond with their faith. Which, as a side note, I was sitting here thinking about this scripture and going, I am someone who is intellectually, um, at the moment, dedicating a lot of my life to studying this, um, going on and studying my master's in theology. And it's really easy, and we actually get told all the time, do not let this become merely an intellectual thing that you know. There has to be the relationship and the outworking of what you learn. And so even today, and we can sit in gatherings like this, and it's the same. We can learn all the things. I can teach you all these things. But unless it really does something here and we go out and we do it, what's the point? And that's what James is getting at. Tom Wright He reflects on this and he says it's actually part of our true vocation, that is our true calling. This royal law, this love your neighbour as yourself, is the vocation through which the followers of Jesus are called to reflect into the world the generous love poured out in creation itself. We're to reflect the generous love given up to death on a cross, the powerful love of the Spirit which goes out through the gospel to call rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female alike, to live as transformed human beings, as vessels of mercy, not simply in the sense of people who've received that mercy, but as people who, after receiving it, gladly and generously pass it on. That is the royal law, to love God and to love your neighbour as yourself. James, in this passage, he says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And it's this perfect law, I love this phrase, the perfect law that gives freedom. This is the freedom that was bought by us by Christ's death and it is the freedom from the powers of darkness that enslave, that corrupt and kill and that drown us in our own sin, there is this new freedom, this perfect law, this law of love that we keep, not so that we are just free, but that others get to live in freedom as well. We have been freed from oppression, from the powers of darkness, from sin and death, because we are freed then for something, and that something is to heal creation to be for the ways of justice and peace and joy. We're not simply saved so we can go to heaven, and I know that is part of it. We're given eternal life. 
But that's not the end goal. We're actually saved to be the image bearers of Christ to then help be about bringing the restoration. And that's what James is saying in his way. It's not just to believe it and tick it. You've actually got to go and you've got to live it. Our freedom that we've been given is for the freedom of others. So others experience this freedom too. He goes on to say in James chapter 2, we head into James chapter 2, suppose a brother or a sister, and this is where he starts to give examples, and he gives really extreme examples, and this is an example about what it looks like and the ridiculous idea that we can believe something but not actually act on it. And he uses this example, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, Keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing, does nothing to help their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And to understand this, again, this faith idea in this context was James is getting at, you can't just have their idea of faith, or he's trying to address this idea of faith as just being something that you say. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, Jesus is the Messiah. He's like, guys, you can't just, it's not enough to say it. It's like if you see someone in need and you go, well, I hope somebody else helps you out and you keep on your merry way. Jesus tells a story about that. Can we remember what that is? I'm pretty sure the Good Samaritan... That's an example to say that you believe, but you just keep on ignoring the need of somebody else. James says, it doesn't work that way. This idea of works is this life of loving God and loving others. It's acts of compassion and mercy towards those in need. It is loving your neighbor as yourself. To have faith is to love God and to love your neighbor. And they cannot be separated. Paul actually says a similar thing in Galatians. He says, For in Christ there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision that counts for anything. And the only thing that counts is faith working through love. John also says something similar. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us as we go on to do what he's called us to do. So our faith is not just this mere confession, but a life lived out in love. This example that James gives, and I think what I'm struck with about it the most, is that it's a really moving image like if you were to see someone, and he uses this, he, he uses the term, suppose someone is naked. We've like dressed it up and said without clothes because that's a little bit more uh, manageable. But he's saying, no, imagine if someone is naked and they're hungry and you do nothing. If you are not moved, if you as an image bearer of Christ filled with the spirit of God is not moved in your spirit then there's something going on that maybe needs to be addressed. Um, In John, and I know we're talking about James, but 
John actually uses this word, and I really like it, and we're going to use it today. Um, When he writes about believe, when he says in his scriptures, he mentions the word believe, when Jesus says, believe in me, uh, there's an example when a blind man is healed and Jesus reveals himself to him that he's a son of man. The, the, The blind man says, I believe, and then he worshiped. This word believe is this word that we would kind of sum up as faithing. It's not a real word. When I typed it in, it came up with the you know, the red underline, because Microsoft's like, that's not a real word. Correct. But it's actually what this idea of belief in the scriptures means. It means faithing. It means belief in action. What you believe in action. Our faith and our belief is not something that's just here. It's actually this idea of faithing. We are faithing. We are doing something with our faith, with our belief. So James, in this way, he says, if you confess this faith in Jesus Christ, it's got to look like faithing. It's got to look like this in action. So we get to this point where we say, what does faithing look like for us? And it's going to look different for each of us. But what we're going to do today, because I don't like just standing here and talking and then you all walk out at the end and that's it. We're going to do a little bit of interaction today. So if you have come with somebody who, and you, or you know the person next to you, this is going to be great. If you've come by yourself, it's also great. You can just get out your phone and you can write down what we're about to do. Because... I was really aware, and I was talking to Mike about this this week. Often we hear a message like this, and what you come away with is, I'm not doing enough. The church needs me to do more. And we walk away with a sense of, oh, they're just trying to get me to do more. And I really don't want that to be what this is. Because those of us who are following Christ... We are already faithing. And so what we're going to do is you're going to look at the person next to you, if you know them. It'd be way too weird if you don't know them. And I want you to consider, so think about it first, consider that person and how you see them faithing, that is loving God, and loving others, how you see them doing that in their life. And I want you to tell them, because we are a church body who should be encouraging one another and calling out the good that we see. And this is going to be maybe a little awkward. I can kickstart this off, and I'm going to make some of my friends feel uncomfortable. Uh, For example, my great friend Amelia, and she's going to hate this. She's going to really hate that I'm I'm used to her. She's looking at me. She's nodding. (laughs) she, besides the fact that she's just incredible, if you see her with children, and I'm probably going to get emotional, her love for kids and how she loves them, anyone's kids, my kids, anybody's, the weight in her own kids, that to me is an example of faith, of faithing 
of her love of God and her love of others and the way that she is with children. Who else can I pick on? Amos, he's my husband. He's the kind of person that if you need a hand, he will drop what he's doing, he'll go and help you. That to me is his faith thing. It is his love of God in action because he loves people and he'll be like, you know, he, he won't say it in so many words. But he'll do that. You need him, he's there. He'll absolutely do it. Ellie Smith, are you in here today, Ellie? Yeah, there she is. <laughs> Ellie Smith, see, what I'm getting at is this is the kind of thing we're going to do for each other in a minute. Ellie Smith, the most encouraging person, even when I'm talking or when anyone's talking, you always want Ellie because she's like, woo, she's there like cheering you on. The most encouraging person. The way that she loves young people and makes them feel included, that is faith in action, this faithing. So, you are going to turn to the person next to you, or if you've come by yourself today, I want you to be intentional. I want you to think about someone you know. You are going to say what you notice in that person and how they love God through what they do. That's all we're going to take like a couple of minutes. We can put on a little bit of music so it's not so awkward. But I'm going to give you one minute. I want you to think about it and then you're going to say it to the person next to you. Now, do you know what was really cool? Was getting to watch you do this. And I see lots of smiles on people's faces. And I watched as people held each other's hands, or hugged one another. Guys, this is the body of Christ at work, and it's really beautiful. And sometimes we don't really take the time to encourage each other. And I really hope in this moment that you have actually, that's like a twofold gift. One, someone has spoken hopefully something that is life-giving and seen something in you, but you have also actually taken time to consider another human being and call out the good things that the Spirit of God is doing through them. Let us not get weary in doing that. Like even if, you do, if nothing else today... Hold on to that and know that the Spirit of God is working in you and will continue to work in you to do good things. And it is this faithing in action. The second thing we're going to do, and this is going to be a little bit more of a self-reflective moment, is consider... ourselves and our own heart because the thing that I noticed when I thought about my friends and the people I love and I had a huge list here by the way um, of lots of people I was going to embarrass all of these things they, they spring up from this deep well Like we know that out of the heart the mouth speaks, but also out of the heart are our actions. And so for everybody 
and we call out those good things, we know that they come from a deep well, but we also know that they're costly. So for my husband, his faithfulness and his love in, if you need me, I'm there, it costs him to do that. It costs him his time. Maybe it'll cost him his finances. It might cost time with me. It might cost pride. Or it might cost self-interest. And sometimes we don't think about that, that these good things, they still are costly, and it's good that they cost us. But we have to consider it as well, that our faith, it is costly, James, when he references this, this image of just kind of walking by somebody who's naked and hungry, it's this wanting to avoid the cost and the sacrifice required to deal with that person. He actually addresses it in the beginning of chapter 2 because he's like, you guys keep favouring the wealthy and those who've got it all together and you're ignoring the poor and the needy. It's easy to have a relationship with people who are not needy harder to do it with people who require something of us. But James keeps getting to this point because Jesus counted the cost and knew it was worth it. And if his spirit is at work within us, Paul says we are crucified with him. Our old self is dead and buried. We've been raised to new life as these image bearers of Christ. Then we need to reflect what matters And what matters are people and the creation, all that God has made. Towards the end of the year, uh, last year, Mike and I got to have a chat with Jared McKenna. And if you haven't heard, um, listened to this conversation, please do. It's on our Pondering episodes. If you go to where you listen to the Good Life podcasts, you'll see we have a conversation with Jared. And he is a... um, he, uh, was the co- that he was the founder and CEO of Common Grace, and he is an activist, a social justice activist. He's done incredible things. He's a follower of Jesus, and that love of Jesus has driven him to step into places where lots of people, and I would say the church in general, fears to sometimes go. And he said this thing. He said, he was being really candid with us, and he said, it's challenging for me. I'm trying to just surrender to the Spirit of God and trying to be a truthful witness. And I don't like all the costs that are involved with it. But I just want to be with Jesus. And so as earnestly as I can, I'm trying to do that. This can cost us the faith in, the faith in action. So in taking a step in that direction, considering our own hearts, our own lives, we're going to ask ourselves a question, and I may have pinched this question from Andy Stanley, but all this week I was trying to figure out how to sum up today. And the interesting thing was I had um, this song, and we're going to do it in a moment. I'm going to call the musicians up. We're going to sing this song in a moment and there's this line that says, 
Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. And all week I had been, I had that in my head as I was thinking of this. And then Mike just offhandedly shows me this, this clip from Andy Stanley. And he asks this question. So we're going to consider it today. What breaks your heart? What breaks my heart? Because when we consider this question and we consider our lives as love in action, to love God and to love our neighbour as ourself, to be faithing, sometimes we have to come back and knowing that we are people who are filled with the Spirit of God and each one of us, God is going to use in different ways and speak to us in different ways. But we do need to consider, we know that God's heart breaks for a world that is broken in the now and the not yet. His kingdom is here, but it's still advancing and it's not yet made full. There are still things that break and grieve God's heart. We still have to deal with death. We still have to deal with injustice. We still have to deal with the effects of sin in this world. But we are called to see those things and then to do something about it. James says, just like you wouldn't walk past someone naked and hungry, our faith has to be in action. And so we're going to take this moment and there was these three questions, these three things. We're going to ask what breaks my heart, you, the individual. But you're going to ask that in prayer and communion with God. Lord, where does my heart need to break in this moment for what is going on in this world? And for each person, it's going to be differently, that answer. For some of us, it may be we know that there are children who are sold off into slavery. And that's something that we go, Lord, my heart it breaks. So what can I do? God, what can I do? Do you know what? God is going to give you an answer for that. For some people, it might be God. I really don't like the way that I speak to my kids and to my husband at the end of the day. What can I do, God? And he's going to show you and he's going to work in you. It could be a big thing. It could be, God, that people are still hungry in this world. That breaks my heart. What can I do? Or it could be God. It breaks my heart that a family member has no wants no relationship with you because of past hurt. What can I do, Lord, through your spirit? We are a people called to be faithing, 
to love God and to love our neighbour as ourselves. And so we are going to take this time to intentionally ask this question. And it may not happen. You may not get any answer. God reveals himself to us in multiple ways. It might not be till you head out and you're driving in the car and you see something or someone says something to you and suddenly you know, oh, that is the Spirit of God. It might not be till tomorrow when you do something and you realise, oh my goodness, that breaks my heart. I've responded in that way. God, what can I do? So we're going to sit for a little bit. And you can close your eyes. You can keep them open. You can stand. You can kneel. You can whatever it is. Be encouraged that God is already doing good things through you and His Spirit is already at work. But at the start of this year, maybe we need to reprioritize some things and ask the Lord, Lord, where does my heart need to break so that I can act and be your hands and feet? Thanks for listening to the Good Life Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on socials and we'll see you next week.